It is indeed in session. Welcome everybody to another episode of Satanic Study Hall. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Jesus Christ, really? You like that? I do it so well. Already? So shit, it's uh it's time to get down to business. We're all decided to come to class today. Um, and we're going to see what happens if you haven't, uh, read the screen or your phone, as far as the title of the episode, we have a very, very, very special guest today in class. Uh, Dr. John Scutland is joining us to dive, (laughs) to take a deep dive into body modification and so much more. Uh, this is a little bit of an extension of our episode with Locke Armina and Dr. John Scotland prior to this, when we talked about, um, you know, Japanese Satanism and a, a whole bunch of other things. We are super excited. Um, the conversation went extremely well. I do want to shout out right off the bat, even before we do introductions, Sean from Happy Cat, uh, a new regular here in class, um, that he did a phenomenal job just kind of jumping in almost last minute and diving in, doing the research. Uh, and he had a great background in that as well. So, uh, this is going to be a lot of fun. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I can almost see your complexion change here on the webcam. Uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, so it's going to be. It's, it's only from the waist up. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, oh. Yeah. Tilt that down. No, don't tilt that camera down. I'm good. I need to maintain my focus. We got a lot to cover today. Uh, so it was a great conversation. Uh, we'll be cutting to that sooner than later. Uh, when it comes to uh, timelines, we're going to push through a couple of things, do some business, talk about a few things, and then introduce uh, Dr. John Scotland's conversation with us. It was, was a lot of fun. My name is Bill. I am a Satanist. And today I am joined by a couple of friends of mine who uh, put a lot of work into this episode. What's up, y'all? Hey, what's going on? My name is Dennis Morningstar, and I'm your uh, friendly neighborhood Satanist. What's up? I'm Sean, and I'm a happy fucking cat. yes well done well done um so yes uh satanic study hall uh if you haven't listened to us i will give you a brief description we are a podcast that covers the things heathens do the things heathens like and the places heathens go i got i said that all without fucking up too i nailed it didn't i I always fuck up when I say that. It's a party after this. Absolutely. I think that's it. Get that man a fucking cookie. (laughs) No, Dennis already said it. I I need a pizza now. Um, But we like to talk about Satanism. Uh, We feature a rotating bench of degenerate hosts and guests and feature as much um, as we can and kind of go at our own pace. We are presenting as we are learning and exploring Satanism as a whole. Um, whether it's the music we feature, the movies we review, the books we cover, the guests we have, or the deep dives into topics, uh, we have a lot of fun doing it. And at the same time, we are learning uh, right along with y'all. So that's one of the things we love about being here in class today. And as always, if you want to get in touch with Satanic Study Hall, you can reach out to us at satanicstudyhall at gmail.com. Search our name on Facebook. Um, one of the, my favorite avenues of our social media is Twitter. I'm not going to lie, Dennis. You got me fucking hooked. I, I told you. You did. I swipe on Twitter more than I, I gave up Facebook. Though. I, even though I reactivate it, I don't fucking use it. I love it. <laughs> I can't do Facebook anymore, man. I fucking hate it. Fuck anything Facebook. anything where, where people have words, like I just, I can't. I'm done. <laughs> where people, people have, have words? words. <laughs> 
We're good. I can just scroll pictures all day. Don't have, oh, the, okay. No, I got you. The gram. The gram. I don't use the gram. I'm not a grammar. Yeah, TikTok. A grammar and now a Discord person. Yeah, I don't even fucking. I, I cut off all social media and it feels fantastic. It's it's uh it's very refreshing. It's rough in the beginning. You know how many times I opened Facebook like after I deactivated my account? I think I talked about this oh before. God, yeah. Way too fucking many. I started counting them too. I lost track after like 50 or 60. The next time we hear from Billy, he's going to be fucking Amish. That's right. <laughs> uh, and some Weird Al shit. I was watching um, a Weird Al concert and he puts a lot of effort wow. into, into his concerts just because yeah, it's does. Weird Al. Like all oh, the costume yeah. changes in between. That shit's oh, nice. amazing. Like, Absolutely. He, he goes all out. I haven't even thought about that in years. Yeah, he's he's still, he was just at the Tower Theater in Philadelphia. Really? Yeah, not to, yeah. I think it was just pre-COVID, like right before everything broke. We'll pass that every day. Yep. Uh, that's where I saw the Trailer Park Boys. A lot of Trailer Park Boys references in, in my tweeting and now the podcast. <laughs> Can't go wrong. I with actually them. had the pleasure of seeing Ghost there. <laughs> oh, nice. the pleasure? I'm sorry. Nice. <laughs> I thought you meant, you, 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 meant, you meant displeasure, right? I, I like no, to I'm a point. A fan. So what was what I, was it I, I like, like seeing those. Papa Shango up that up close? Like, <laughs> I think he was an intercontinental champion at one point. I mean, even just even just like, talking about it right now, I'm getting a semi. So it's oh, like, God. It's, you know, it's kind of cool. I mean, yeah, I, I like a, I like some of the stuff. I don't like all their stuff, but Ghost that, gives me bad. for certain songs they give me that weird '80s vibe. Um, that's what and I that's get out I of like it. it. Like, I don't get anything out of their yeah, lyrics I mean, really, but just some no, of their music. No, I can, no, yeah. no. That's as far it's as pure, I'm going with Ghost. It's purely fucking showmanship. Dude. And we haven't yes, said this yes, in a long time theatrics. either. Fuck Pearl Jam. Yes, yeah, fuck hey, Pearl you Jam. You know what? I'm in. Fuck Pearl Jam. Fuck Pearl Jam. You're, I need the mug, though. I need the mug. I was, you, don't, you need the mug? <laughs> yeah, we, so we have the design saved, the fuck Pearl Jam mug. Yeah it's, yeah, it's an exclusive in class. Like it's plus it's like copyrighted. There's like stolen shit on the mug, so we just print them for ourselves. We ain't selling them. So. <laughs> just a right click yeah, and a saw, save um, as. Nice. I saw Marilyn Manson at the Tower Theater actually, like back when he was actually doing theatrics in his shows. Still, you remember? You know, you remember those days? Like I think oh, it was. Yeah. Uh, it was like when Golden Age of Grotesque came out. So it was like right at the tail end of his what you would call i guess prime yeah it's, i've I mean, always wanted to see my, manson my, live in, in my opinion that was like mechanical animals hollywood days i'll be honest with you i can't really pick a prime like no. I, I no he was he was somebody that resonated with me since i was a kid like well, me I, too. Can still, I can still remember walking around like having the tape of portrait of american family and like wearing the shit out and having to fucking rebuy it along with Danzig <laughs> four. Um, and just fucking like loving it, but mm-hmm. like all the way up to the land, like even the covers that he did at Johnny cash and fucking, um, yep. mm-hmm. the hell else did he cover? I have the vinyl that has his, um, fucking watercolor on it. It used to sit right next to the bed. <laughs> enough. Yeah. It I have no longer there. Oh man, I got like a mint condition copy of uh, Mechanical Animals on vinyl. Has the uh, like remember his like alien suit or whatever? It's got like bits oh, yeah, and dude. pieces of the whole thing down it on each side. Like it's fucking sick. 
but no, I went, I, I saw him at the, the spectrum in 98. Like, so I know what you're talking about. Like those yeah. like back, like fucking antichrist superstar days and shit. Yep. Like that shit was nuts. That was at the spectrum. Oh, I missed that place. Yep. You know, I think it's, uh, I think this is time for the pop quiz guys. So, uh, the pop what? Out, wait, wait, wait. The what now? Pencils out, tuck your dicks, pop quiz. Fucking right. Pencils out, tuck your dicks, clench your sphincters. It's pop quiz time. Fucking hell. All right. My pencil's not number two. Is that acceptable? <laughs> Whatever. Let's do this. So, question number one. What is do I write my answer you? down and hand it to you or, or like put it no, up on screen or do I say it out loud? What are the we rules? We're going to raise hands. We're going to go by a show of hands. Okay. Show of hands. So it's so me versus Sean. Whatever. Huh? It's me versus Happy Cat. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. What is the oldest recorded tattoo? A, 3,400 years old. B, 30, or 5,300 years old. C, 2,600. Or D, 7,400.8. Bill. Um... A. No. Sorry. Fuck. Wrong. Fucking idiot. I'm pretty sure Happy it's Cat, you got it's B. You got it. Fifty three hundred. It is the earlobe at eleven uh, eleven millimeters. All right, number two. That's a big is, fucking earlobe. Yeah, it is. The, yeah, yeah, that is. What does that translate to in inches? That's what she said. Ooh. <laughs> or he said. Yeah. Or they said. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah, I can't give you an answer to that one. Shit. <laughs> all right, redemption time. What's the next one? I got all this. Right, all right. Is it a sin to get a tattoo? Oh. I think that was. I think that was Happy Cat. Happy Cat. Happy Cat. Sorry, I I can't look at two things at one time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go with it. Absolutely, is a sin. You are absolutely correct. That was a fucking easy one. Of course it's a sin. Yep. That's why you're going to stop hitting the fucking weed and get that hand up. Old, new, ancient, revised, American version, whatever Bible. It's always a sin. Happy cat. For for bonus points on your grade, can you tell me the Bible verse and what it reads? I sure fucking can. No way. It is Leviticus 19, verse 28, which says... You're fucking cheating. Nah, yeah, man. Nah, yeah, hold up. Listen, listen. Put that Bible I'm up. reading it like a preacher. Shut the fuck up and listen. <laughs> Father, You Pal. shall not make any cuttings in the flesh for the dead, nor tattoo any marks on you, for I am the Lord. Bitch. Was it good? You, turn, you like that? Did you, that you turn good. into a wizard there for a second? Hey. Like <laughs> <I heard> the, <laughs> nah, that was that's what happens when my ass You're not tattoo. Wait. Can we untuck our dicks? Uh not yet. Okay. Fuck. Not yet. All right. <laughs> Goodbye, horses. <laughs> oh, yes. Can we get that as a background? Can we can we raise that up? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Is it or is it uh, in biblical references? Earrings were seen as a sign of what? A signs of enlightenment. B kills in battle. C nobility and wealth. 
or D, number of babies sacrificed and eaten? Bill. D, the baby sacrifice in John. I knew you were going to go for that. I mean, yeah, of course. And he's still a fucking idiot. Ah, damn. I'm going to be getting yeah. banana stickers like Dennis soon. Damn, you're going to be coming downstairs with me. That's right. Fucking special ed room. <laughs> yeah, we have fun, dude. I know. All the shapes fit in the circle. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of Play-Doh in that room. Uh, so happy cat redemption over here. You, can you pick this one up? I'm in. Read me back the, uh, the answers again, though. So you've got signs of enlightenment, kills in battle, nobility and wealth, or number of babies sacrificed and eaten. Well, you know it's not that one. I know it's not that one. I, I mean, I fucking I, knew that from when you said it the first time. I still would um, like to go with it. I, I I would love to go with the first one, but I know it's probably not. So we're gonna go with um, signs of wealth. Yes, it is signs what? of wealth and nobility. That's, that's right. See, that's this right. guy's on his shit. This guy has his shit. Where are you at, Bill? I don't know. I, I still think it was the babies. He's in the shitter. <laughs> I think it was the babies. <laughs> All right. It's um, the baby. What about the baby? Right, after study hall, after class, I want to look at your fucking bibliography for this quiz. <laughs> Just check his arm. Is <laughs> <laughs> you can't even do that. It's a pop quiz. Like, how is he doing this shit? I know, right? <laughs> All right. Next question: Who is Ted Richards? Got it. Yes. Uh, nope. Sean got, got it. I didn't even read. The, I didn't even read the choices yet. Oh, we got oh, choices. Shit. All right, my bad. No, 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 no. Okay, I'm already. No, okay, I'm. Right. I'm, I'm, I'm clearly it. fucked on this one. Go right ahead, Mister Happy <laughs> no, Cat. No, this is, this Steal is the fucking point. show. Go ahead. <laughs> that is that is my man, the Parrot Man. You got it correct. The Parrot Man. The Parrot. <laughs> how the fuck do you know that? I don't know. Dude, he makes a hell of a stew. He says a first and a last name, and you want to rate the parrot man. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, does this dude have wings? No, wait, no. Nah, read the... I got to hear his choices no, now, because no, it was so awesome. Who is parrot man? I want to know more about this guy. Yeah, I want... Yeah. He's like a DC superhero? <laughs> I, he should be. He absolutely fucking should be. Um, this is a guy who has spent his entire life just modifying himself uh, to look like a parrot. Um, he's got the beak. He's got the whole nine. We mean the whole I nine. Like, hell of us too. So like, is it tattoos? Is it, so he has like a, a modified nose. Did he get a nose extension? Is he a parrot because of his tattoos or his clothing? Or is he flashy? Does he wear parrot clothes? Feathers? Did they form bone into a beak? I'd Google it right now, but I'm lazy. Uh, hold on. <laughs> I Here mean, we there's go. A, there's a- According to tattoodo.com, uh, Parrot Man admits to spending pension money on tattoos and body mods. So it is tattoos and body modifications. Um, ha, and they actually said Ted Richards, AKA Parrot Man, is trying to turn himself into a parrot. And he revealed how he's planning to pay for it all. Here we go. Go for Holly want a pension plan? Oh, wow. That's oh, fucking corny as shit. Oh, man. Yeah. The article goes on to say the 57-year-old man has his eyes tattooed. He installed horns on his head. Um, And then they go on to say, newsflash, parrots do not have horns, which, you know, whatever. 
Um, double parrots. Double parrots do. Demon his parrots. ears cut off. He actually did have his ears cut off. You think he eats like a parrot? <laughs> He's bird food. He just shit. takes like he just takes little bird bites. Yeah, little, little tiny like, little bird well, bites. That would be lovely. I mean, that sounds that sounds like a fantastic. Because dinner. if he's going all in, he needs to go all in, right? See, my question is: Would he sit on my shoulder? If you'd let him, I mean, I would totally. Would you, would you hold man, him? Would you let Paraman try to sit on your shoulder? Is he a hobbit? Can I sit while he sits on my shoulder? Like, is that fair game? Well, if he's really trying to be Paraman, he might shit on your back. Yo, listen, you be birds like to shit in the most on, opportune Bill. time come on as a father you know i've been there i've been there exactly that's what i'm saying oh, trust what is me. Hey, gonna do? can i sit on your shoulders fucking parrot man all right enough about parrot man i, <laughs> fuck, I couldn't even answer that question even if i knew it all right fuck you parrot man I, all right i gotta get at least one right what's the next one or is that the last one i'm sorry bill but there is no redemption from this I have I have a bonus question if you would like to attempt it. Is this all or nothing? Like if I get this question right, I right, I beat Sean? No. Fuck. Not at all. <laughs> no, there's no fucking not, not after not after not even having to hear the multiple choice questions right. for the answer about the parrot dude. All right. So I'll, I'll try it. Just for for shits and giggles. You missed you missed out, man. Wait, I want to hear what the actual fucking I, I jumped the gun, man. I'm sorry. I was just so excited to hear Ted's name. You weren't like, did it turn you on? No, man. Uh huh. Okay. He's a nice guy. He's subscribed. No, no. Sean is subscribed to Parrot Man's OnlyFans. Ooh. (laughs) That feathered dick. (laughs) New videos posted every other day. He does with the crackers, man. Does it talk inside the body after? Like. <laughs> Dude, that's a whole parrot man. If you ever hear this, you need an OnlyFans now. You 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 have to. Ted, if you hear this, I'm sorry. No, you're not. No, I'm not. But it's hilarious. Now, props to so Parrot Man. He went all in. I I can give him respect. That's true, and that's that's what I'm saying, man. Anybody who is that much fucking, you know, gumption to go all in, like the testicular fortitude, if you will. Ooh. To go that extra route, like that's a Vince McMahon yeah. term from like '90s wrestling. I, I'm trying, man. <laughs> he would look at mankind and be like, "You lack the testicular fortitude." <laughs> yeah, it was great. <laughs> Fucking yeah. So damn. All right, so I lose. Congratulations, Sean. I tip my sweaty brow to you. Um, I appreciate that. <laughs> Tis my pleasure. Well, welcome, Bill. No, drips to yourself. You actually have won a present, Bill, or a prize. What's the prize? Welcome to the bottom floor. Oh, lovely. <laughs> yeah, I knew nothing about this pop quiz. I'm glad I didn't, but I don't like to fucking lose either. Um, anyways, on that note, let's uh, spin things around and stop bullshit. And it's time to get down to business. Uh, you know, we're we're doing a dive into uh, body modifications and its ties to uh, you know um, just ritualistic practice around the world and um, Satanism and Satanism is transgression. Yeah, thanks a lot, Doc. It was it was awesome, and I've enjoyed our conversations ever since too. Like it's it's been it's been a hell of a time. Um, he just is an incredible wealth of knowledge about this stuff. And like, 
stuff that I came to the table. And I know Dennis, you said the same thing, stuff that I had brought to the table that I was like, Oh man, I'll keep this in my back pocket. He was just right there. Like, yeah, the actionist. And it was like, Oh really? Yeah. Damn. He, he knew it like right there. Right like, there. Oh, drop oh I got, I got oh, some man. shit signed by them. Fuck, man. <laughs> yeah, he even beat Belial to the punch a couple of times. And Belial yeah, wanted to make did. a couple of really good points and shit. Right. He was on it. Um, all right. Well, thank you, gentlemen. On that note, it is time to uh time to check this out. So we hope you enjoy it. Uh without further ado, here we go. You know what you are? You're the Antichrist. What? Yeah, that's what you are. You are the motherfucking Antichrist. Hail Satan! Uh, today we are joined by a very special guest once again. Uh, Dr. John Scutlin is Woo! here in study hall with us uh, yeah, today. Yeah. And uh, Dr. Scutlin holds a doctor in Japanese studies and has written about Japanese manifestations of goth subculture as well as body modification and tattooing in Japan from an anthropological perspective. His studies have also delved into modern Satanism and its various incarnations. Dr. Scotland is fluent in Japanese and lived in Tokyo for over a decade. Dr. Scotland hosts a television show on Satanic Temple TV or TST TV called Satanic Show and Tell. Definitely keep an eye on TST TV and TST TV social media, especially their Twitter, for more information. And that is alongside La Carmina. And you can always check out what the latest happenings are with La Carmina by checking out her blog at lacarmina.com. Um, now, we are also joined by both Doc Armina and Dr. Scotland a few episodes back where we kind of covered Satanism in Japan, uh, satanic subcultures around the world, and some demons and how some demons around the world are represented. But um, today we are taking a little bit more of a focused dive down the rabbit hole here in Study Hall, and we're going to be talking about body modification. Uh, we opened up the episode with uh, some of Dennis's and uh, Sean's personal experiences with all that um but uh now um it is time to get a fresh new perspective on somebody who is from somebody who has spent a lot of time um in many years uh, of his life um diving into uh, you know j- j- japanese subculture uh body modification and tattooing it's interesting too because when we first started study hall and we were doing episode planners one of the first topics that came up was Dennis um, wanted to do an episode on body modification and tattoos. Um, just, and it was, it's a big topic to cover and you can take it a lot of different ways. But uh, I think it was when, when we, you know, we had so much going on and we're only a year into the game. But I think when, uh, when we, when we met Dr. Scotland, it kind of sealed the deal, you know, <laughs> the light bulb. Yeah, and the, yes. And it was just like, no, this had to happen. So here <laughs> we are. So my speech is over. You're done hearing my <laughs> run on sentences and everything. Uh, now I think it's time to officially welcome uh, Dr. Scotland back to study hall. Welcome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here again. Uh, it was wonderful last time. And I'm really glad to be a part of this episode that seems to have been a long time in the making. And yeah, it really is a, a big topic. So we'll see what we can do with it today. Uh, any other projects or crazy directions your research or studies have taken you since the last time you stopped by class? Uh, unfortunately, right now, a lot of things are on hold. So I'm, I was 
cautiously optimistic about getting back to Japan, getting more tattoos, uh, joining some body modification events and things like that. But uh, in reality, that seems like it probably won't be possible until maybe next year. So uh, that's unfortunate. But th through this time, you know, I've been keeping busy with, of course, the Satanic Show and Tell. We have, uh, I believe, five or six episodes already in the can. Uh, we did a live one for Hexanoct on the uh, TST TV at the estate. Uh, we did that. And it was a really great episode. That one will probably be up as a bonus episode later. Nice. And uh, so it's been great being able to talk to people and connect digitally. Of course, the estate now has the temple services, another great way to keep in touch with people and, and uh, communicate with other Satanists. I have kind of a twofold question for you, Dr. Scotland. The first one would be um, when body modification and or tattooing or both um, became appealing to you and what kind of drew you in to want to learn more uh, or to figure out if it really was something that was for you. Maybe you can kind of mold that in with the, if you're able to tell the story of your very, very, very first tattoo. So for, for me, I, I guess the, the literal answer of when I was first involved in body modification would be involuntarily <laughs> shortly after the time of my birth. Bravo. Uh, if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yes. So, nips, nips. <laughs> Yeah. And this is this is an issue that, uh, well, this is a whole can of worms that could be opened up at a later time talking about cir circumcision and things like that. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, when it came to decorative body modification, uh, I think in, I'm not sure if our last episode I mentioned my background, but I do. It's no secret that I come from a very conservative background. So when I was about 15, getting my ear pierced was like an extremely rebellious thing to do. And I'm talking going down to the piercing pagoda with my friends, you know, and getting a, a piercing. So that that wasn't much of anything to speak of. Uh, my first tattoo was actually quite late. I was probably about 22 years old uh, in college, decided I wanted one. And it's really when I went to Japan that got me truly interested in it because it was there that I started to see the very wide variety of body modification practices. Uh, it wasn't just tattooing. It wasn't just piercing. It was, uh, you know, suspension, uh, which, of course, is more body play, mm -hmm. but uh, suspension, uh, scarification, branding, implants, all these things. It was just this big world. And it was very linked with the goth subculture that I was interested in. And it seemed to have a ritualistic aspect to it. And I saw within tattooing, within the process of getting a tattoo, uh, the ability to not necessarily change yourself, but to manifest an aspect of yourself externally so that you'll be reminded of it. Uh, you know, the ritual itself, getting it is part of it, but then also the, the continuous reminder, being able to look at that piece of your past, that important juncture in your life and, uh, you know, just holding it fast. It, it helps me keep firm in a lot of situations. Uh, to sum it up, I would say that for some of my tattoos, I externalize certain things in my life that if I were to keep them inside me, they would just fester and be destructive to me. So by externalizing them in the form of uh, these tattoos, by putting messages in them, uh, things that only I know, uh, things that only I would understand, 
Uh, this has a, a rather therapeutic effect. Now, sometimes I just get them because they look badass. Wrong <laughs> there is that. always that. Absolutely. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, it's for me personally, that's one of the reasons. And I hope as we go through the episode, we can talk about other reasons uh, that other people have for doing these things. So in Dr. Scutton's first tour here in Study Hall, we did refer to a piece of his work um, a good handful of times as we were discussing, um, you know, Japanese Satanism um, and everything that we had mentioned before. Uh, and that piece of work is titled Turning Goth in Japan, the Subcultural Identity, Ritual and Self-Expression. Um, this was Dr. John Scotland's thesis paper at the Chinese University of Hong Kong. Um, I believe this dates back to 2014, but reads just and is just as relevant as if it was written yesterday. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we and there, like I said, there were a good amount of references all throughout this thesis. Uh, one thing um, that I'd like to spend some time focusing on um, is or and during this interaction would be chapter three specifically. Um, and that's, that's definitely very relative to the body modification topic that we're exploring here at study hall. Um, and I know, uh, Sean, um, you know, we were mentioning off air, um, one of the reasons that Sean has come to study hall is, is for this very topic. Um, and while I do my nerd thing on the computer, Sean, real quick, can you, can you speak to, uh, what about, um, this episode and what we're, you know, what we're talking about today kind of drew you in based on a little bit of your personal experience? Well, um, I've been interested in body modification ever since I can remember. Um, I'll be honest with you. It probably started with, uh, seeing images of the Buddha with his ears gauged out. And I always equated that to enlightenment. So that's kind of where my fascination with it started. Um, so in college, I started gauging my ears a little bit more and more and more and more and more. Um, until finally, I was really, really interested in all the body modification. And I wanted to start including that in my artwork. Um, and luckily enough, being involved in the goth industrial fetish, all those fun scenes... Um, I had a wealth of people that were already interested in it that would uh, take part in these, essentially, these rituals um, that I had created uh, as performance pieces. So that's kind of where the art of it comes in for me. Okay. I... I can't really say that anything really drew me to body modification outside of keeping up with the fad. Sure. I, I think every piercing that I got was in response to somebody that I held in some sort of a higher regard in the scene that I was in. Um, and just, I don't know what I, I guess it was to gain some legitimacy, um, almost like a look at me. And that kind of goes hand in hand with, um, you know, what I was just talking about in chapter three of Dr. Scotland's thesis. Um, so, Real quick, just since I brought it up, it's um, Dr. Scutland. Could you um, give us a little bit of insight as to, um, you know, we, we did speak to your study um, and what you take us on the journey of that thesis almost and what how it evolved in, you know, I don't know, the evolution of um, inception to submission. Sure. So that was my master's thesis. And uh 
it was obviously about goth subculture. It was about uh, people getting what's called subcultural capital, which kind of echoes what you were just speaking about, like getting a piercing because, you know, someone else had it or, or you wanted to be kind of recognized, things like that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that, you know, having a piercing, having a tattoo can be subcultural capital. But at the same time, it especially in Japan, especially with tattoos, can result in a concomitant decrease in your overall social capital, Mm -hmm. uh, given the stigma against tattooing and things like that. So there were a lot of things that were swirling around in my mind when I was writing this. So obviously I was focusing on goth, but I just noticed that a lot of these events had so much to do with body play. They had so much to do with uh, doing something you know, mining the body for new experiences or for new performances, you know, with these uh, really elaborate suspension, right. uh, you know, saline inflations, bagel heads, uh, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So I was I was wondering what it meant to the people who did it. And as an anthropologist, that's what I do. Like I, I talk to people and interview them, a lot of qualitative research. So in-depth interviews, I really wanted to know why they did what they did, what it meant to them. And, you know, for some, I admit that in the beginning, I had a rather quixotic uh, idea that like a lot of these people would give me very deep kind of metaphysical answers about, you know, what this means to them and and expecting to hear something out of, uh, you know, say Fakir Musafar's philosophy. And while I did right. find some people who who had written about that and or who had read that and who identified with it, a lot of them just said, I do it because it's fun. You know, it it's fun. It looks cool. I like the way it feels. I saw someone doing it and I thought I want to do it. And it made me kind of reframe my question uh, and go into it without assumptions. And it led me to have a wider understanding of of what these different bodily expressions can mean beyond the the kind of philosophizing that you find in in some writers. Do, would you say there was almost like a progressive scale from a small tattoo to a body piercing to um, a more advanced form of body modification? Um, or would you say that that would, you know, the decision as to what avenue to go down would be more at random based on what they're thinking are, you know, their inner societal norms? Well, this depends a lot on the individual. For my case, it was a steady progression. Like it just kept getting more and more extreme, Mm -hmm. uh, going from like one piercing when I was 16 to uh, having a subdermal implant and, you know, tons of piercings, uh, genital piercing and doing suspension, things like that. So for me, it was definitely that kind of logical progression from smaller to larger, whereas a lot of times with things like and again, this is more body play, but it also includes things like uh, even implants. I would meet someone who had never had a tattoo, but got an implant or who had never had a tattoo, maybe just a few basic piercings, but was really involved in suspension. And uh, oftentimes these informants, I would say, would be uh, women and I found that in many ways, the performative aspect of, of certain body modifications uh, lent itself to it, it fell along gendered lines. So you would see a lot of women getting suspended and certain types of body modification. You have more women doing it. And 
to me, this I, I do discuss this a bit in my thesis, but just how uh, piercings and things like that decorating your body have generally in the West uh, fallen more on the uh, female side of the spectrum in terms of what's accepted in in terms of our gendered stereotypes. So it's kind of an extension of that. Uh, whereas with men, when they do it, uh, oftentimes I saw a little more of the, I don't want to say machismo, but, you know, there there was a guy who wanted to see if he could break a record for how long he could do the the chest suspension, you know, with one hook in his chest, which is incredibly right. painful. Yep. Wow. Yep. <laughs> that's and amazing. so, again, that's not everyone, but uh, it was interesting to see how, how gender influenced what things people... Uh, felt that they they were available to them essentially that's really mm-hmm. interesting that you mentioned that because in in the couple of pieces that that I used uh, people to do suspension and the one girl I, I was telling you about the the traditional okipa um, she she did a traditional okipa and she was very she lent herself to a more masculine form if that makes any sense. Um, Mm. whereas the girl who did a resurrection suspension where it's very, you know, she's arced back and it's this very dramatic thing. She was more feminine and it became this more beautiful kind of experience for her. So that's really interesting. Yeah, it certainly doesn't, uh, you know, have to, and, and probably it's very empowering to engage in things that would otherwise be, uh, you know, typically gendered. So I believe in the Okipa ritual. I, I believe I have not studied, uh, you know, the Native American tribes extensively who did this, but I'm pretty sure it was only for men. It was. It uh, absolutely was. So, uh, doing that in a way is very can be very empowering. You know, just doing something that would be traditionally considered exactly. a masculine a very, a very rite male. of passage. Yep, exactly. That's very very interesting. So it really does lead to and this this kind of goes with scarification, which I hope we can talk about as well. But in the in many societies, scarification would be a rite of passage. Sometimes it's purely decorative. Mm -hmm. Uh, But in the 1980s, like uh, there were people like uh, Raylin Galena and people Mm -hmm. like that were, were really pioneering scarification. And it was often with women and it was often within this narrative of reclaiming the body from patriarchal control or survivors of abuse and things like that. So doing something that would have traditionally been a rite of passage for men to prove how manly they are, a woman doing this to prove her bodily autonomy is separate from, from men and their control over her is just so powerful. I think, I think one of my favorite stories uh, about performance art and dealing with that was from Kemba Fowler, uh, where she actually, to reclaim her body and, and all, like, you know, her family was telling her, oh, you have to get married and have kids. And, you know, the typical patriarchy bullshit, excuse me. But um, she sewed her vagina shut as a ritual well, and, and a huge middle finger to the patriarchy. She sewed herself shut. Wow. Well, mm-hmm. Yeah, nullification. Yep. Nullification like that on both sides of the spectrum on uh, for, for men or women is a really powerful thing to Absolutely. do. Uh, I, self-amputation. Um, you know, it's funny, you, uh, you had mentioned scarification. I was, um, 
I was looking through your your Instagram and and I noticed um is is that your arm with the the uh, sigil um I'm guessing is that's either branded or scarred or, or um, cut in. Yes, uh, this is oh that'll get really personal if we talk about that one. Uh, oh, <laughs> this is what I'm looking for. Yes, <laughs> give me the tea. <laughs> Seriously, let me. I so uh, go ahead yeah i'm generally pretty pretty open about things like this and i i hope by sharing uh things like this it can you know maybe on the off chance that someone could hear it and maybe be empowered by it so uh, rather than you know obfuscate or try to hide the reasons behind why i do something so that was a very powerful experience for me a very poignant because uh you know, I had I had struggled for a long time with depression, and uh, one of the ways that I kind of dealt with it was through self harm. And when I was in Japan, when I found scarification, it really showed me that you could take what I was doing essentially to myself, but but turn it into art, and turn it, it into something, something beautiful. meaningful. That's amazing! Wow! Yeah, that's wow! Yeah, that is incredible. I found powerful. a. a yeah, an artist in Japan in Osaka who was willing to do it for me. Uh, he put on the downward spiral on vinyl. Oh, as we, the uh, only way! <laughs> especially for me. And uh, as he did the scarification. So that was kind of a very personal ritual. And, and really, it was very therapeutic for me. Uh, the meaning, of course, of the sigil of Lucifer was very powerful, um, mm-hmm. you know, bringing oh light God. and enlightenment, uh, kind of clearing the cobwebs from my mind, basically. And uh, so, yeah, that was great. I now have uh, two cases of scarification. That one's on my arm. I have one on my side, which is a brimstone sigil. Uh, my wife and I got matching uh, scars. We both have the brimstone sigil on our that's sides. Amazing. Oh, that's beautiful. That yeah, that's really awesome. That's beautiful. Yeah, it's really cool. And, you know, I, I like how you, you were talking about the um, the connection with the sigil of Lucifer scarification, because I have the sigil tattooed on the side of my face and there's a big connection with it there for me as well. Um, so just having that, you know, that 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 kind of connection with with you on that one is it's really nice to stand out. Um, now, I wanted to ask with your with your scarification, did you what style did you get? Um because isn't there a, a few different um, ways to do it? Right. Uh, with the first one, it was mostly just uh, cutting straight with the scalpel. So mm-hmm. that's that's what they just call cutting. And there was one small portion, like one part of the, the kind of V in there that the artist wanted to make a little thicker. So then he used what's called skin peeling, where he cuts basically a cookie cutter and peels the skin off. And that uh, leads it to be a thicker scar. Uh, okay. But my arm keloided quite nicely because uh, he advised me to, after I got it done, brush it with a toothbrush every nice. time I was in the shower. So basically, oh. I agitated it. Yep. For weeks and weeks until it finally healed. And through doing that, I got a really, really nice raised keloid uh, tattoo there. So it's That's quite awesome. bumpy. That's fantastic. <laughs> right. That's See, I've been thinking about getting something. Like, like I, I, for, for years, I loved the, the scarification and the branding, to, to, to be um, 
and to be frank, I really love the branding style and love to get something branded on me. Um, but no, like, you know, your connection to it and, and, and you know, like the, the, the meaning behind it, I can actually connect to that because I, I have gone through the same thing. Yeah, ditto. And, and fuck it, we're Satanic Study Hall. Yeah, we can afford to jump around topic to topic. Uh, that's what we do. Um, so let's let's try to let's stay on scarification real quick because um, I'm uh, I'm rather curious. I've always been intrigued, um, even from a child when I, I I saw you know certain practices on you know the National Geographic specials that I would watch and everything. Doctor sure. yep. um, Skelton, I was wondering if maybe you can kind of maybe if you if you're able to take us on uh, give us a brief brief history lesson in just regards to scarification in itself. Um, and when, you know, maybe the devolution, how long that's been around and how much of that really has, you know, emerged back in uh, the body modification scene. Right. So scarification, it has a very long history. Now, unfortunately, unlike things like tooth ablation uh, or other, you know, things that would remain in the archaeological record, uh, obviously scarification is not something that you'd really have any evidence of remaining because the skin just rots away and it's gone. Uh, but we see evidence of, of it in clay figurines. We see it in, uh, you know, artwork and things like that that show that this was probably around as, as to the best of my knowledge as early as like 4000 BCE like in in Africa you know this is the kind of thing that we theorize was the first one of the first types of body modification just cutting yourself and this essentially led to the tattoo because you would stuff like soot from the fire and put it into the cut and then it would heal and then you'd have a mark there right. and there are of course various different ways of doing it uh, you know, you could just cut with something sharp. Uh, a lot of times they would take a thorn or something, some kind of hook and pull the skin up and then slice it off. So you'd have a nice open Ooh. cut, uh, which is something we do nowadays with like the skin peeling method where you basically make a cookie cutter and pull it off uh, just a way to get a nice uh, rounded scar. But yeah, there are so many different things you can stuff into it. Sometimes they would stuff things into the scars and it would actually heal over it. Uh, so that was almost like a primitive form of implanting, but needless to wow, say, it's a long, it has a long history, probably just about as long as, uh, you know, humans, as we know them have been around, we've mm -hmm. been uh, messing around with our bodies. There are even some who say that that's one of the things that separates for us from other, other animals is the, the need to decoratively modif modify ourselves, not for camouflage, not for, for other purposes. Cause there are animals that do that. Um, but yeah, the purely aesthetic decorative uh, way of modifying ourselves. And it's all theory in many ways, because a lot of it's prehistory, thinking that it was uh, talismanic. It was meant to ward off uh, things sometimes meant to be more like an animal by putting the designs of a snake on your body, uh, taking in part of the power of that uh, animal. There was the uh, there's a tribe. I think it's the Chambri tribe. And they are in Papua New Guinea and they believe that they're descended from crocodiles. So they do this incredibly elaborate uh, scarification all over their bodies to get these raised keloids that make them look like they have the skin of a crocodile. I've seen that. It's and beautiful. so mm -hmm. that's clearly. Hmm? Absolutely beautiful. Oh, go ahead. I wasn't saying anything. Oh, sorry. I thought I heard something. Sorry. Oh, no, I'm, yeah, I'm sorry. Hmm. So three, two, one. 
so that's just one of the many reasons why uh, scarification developed. And it kind of saw its, you know, renaissance in the Western world, uh, thanks to people like Fakir Musafar uh, in the 1970s, you know, really experimenting with a lot of these uh, so-called primitive practices uh, in modern primitivism, bringing them into uh, the Western knowledge and then, you know, experimenting with them, you know, doing something to your body to have new experiences. And to, for him, it was a very spiritual thing. And we talked about uh, Raylan Galina and people like that doing it for purposes of re- reclaiming the body and whatnot. So that it kind of started within the SM scene back in the 80s. It was kind of a, a wild and woolly world. And then, uh, you know, come into nowadays, it's kind of an getting to a point where it's an accepted form of body modification. I think it's still stigmatized a bit because we associate any kind of cutting of the skin with self-harm, whereas for some reason, poking needles into yourself millions of times is not self-harm, you know? (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) But uh, all that to say, it's it's come to be quite accepted, uh, especially compared to, say, 20 years ago. Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's very true. Just everything in general, when it comes to body modification, I've seen a huge change. You know, as I've grown up, because I mean, I'm only 33 years old, I just remember the stigma behind it, at least in the area that we live in. Um, It was nothing just, you know, bikers had the tattoos and all that. So it was just like. And and degenerates. Seeing it. What's that? I said, and degenerates. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I fit right in with that one. Exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, the scarring, seeing it, you know, God. No, I was just gonna say the scarf, scarification, just like you know, and this is a recap of what I said earlier, but it just always fascinated me. Just the the process, the attention to detail, um, you know, just the attention period that it that it requires to achieve the final result. Uh, it's it's definitely a, a a very intricate art form in my eyes. And I've seen amazing, like full body pieces done. Uh, when I did it first, it was in Japan, in Osaka. And then my second one was done in China. Uh, there's a woman in Beijing who's uh, very proficient at it. And she she does she posts stuff on her, you know, Facebook, Instagram and all that. And it's just incredible. She, in one session, she'll do like an entire, you know, back or like chest and things like that. And having done it myself, I can say that it uh I don't know if it's more painful than a tattoo. It's definitely a different kind of pain. And I found the peeling to be very, uh, one of the more painful aspects. That's the part that it. I can't even imagine. Oh my. So just slicing with the scalpel, that's not so bad, but then right. when you're cutting a pattern and then you're just peeling the skin off and cutting it off a little bit at a time, especially on the side, like around your rib cage, I found that to be, uh, probably comparable to what you'd experience with a tattoo. Actually, it's funny. I'm sitting here saying, I can't imagine what that's like, but you know, as somebody who performs self-harm, I actually used to pull the skin off the bottom of my feet. So uh, I do, we've mentioned various forms of uh, body modification. Um, another one that I wanted to bring up and there's like one or two more uh, that's suspension. Something else that I am absolutely fascinated by. And like, it just, I don't know, like it's, I hate saying this is the only reference. I, I don't even know what I'm going to say. I can't look away 
it like it's almost as if i feel it while i'm watching it on television i could only imagine what it's like being done let alone being in the same room as somebody else who's getting it done it's just it's gotta be so fucking enthralling but i definitely wanted to talk about that for a minute because i know sean um has got a little bit of a background in it um and i know dennis has exposure and you know as does uh dr scutland here um so if i could start with sean real quick sure um so just i guess we could start suspension what is it um what's the draw to it um and and can you maybe tell us about some various ways that suspension is performed sure um doc stop me if you heard this one before but um so my personal interest started with it uh in terms of using it in as a performance base uh also ritual based everything that i kind of do with my artwork is ritual based um but I had found a bunch of people, like I said earlier, that were that were interested in performing and collaborating in these rituals with me. Um, so the nature of the suspensions were ritual, and it was really, really interesting to to be in that room, and you know, physically, you know, one minute be joking around with everybody, and you know, it's it's you know, just joking and and all that fun stuff, and then just instantly when the needles come out, it's just like this sullen, like you feel this this vibe just change, and then the piercing starts, and it's just it's this beautiful moment. I was just gonna say that definitely not a bad vibe. No, but, no, yeah, no, 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 not sure. at all. Like it, it's just it's this this immediate seriousness of exactly like you're it, the only way I can refer to it, and and I've said it to you before is tapping in. Like using that as, as an art form, like like you just feel everything kind of shift, and and it, and it just gets real. It gets it gets very real for until the the experience is over. To be honest with you, um, but I can remember doing these pieces and and just again starting off joking and and you know we're all having fun and, and you know I've got the food there just to make sure everybody's you know healthy and and keeping it. And then I'd imagine everyone's got to be different as well. If you've been to multiples, because I mean, it all, I mean, I'm sure there's a certain vibe or energy that's being put out from the person being suspended, you know, based on the level of comfortability, whether they've done it before, stuff like that. There's, there's a huge difference in uh, the ones that were performed actually in my studio, like where, where, you know, the, the artist actually came in and, and performed this, the, the, hooks in the and hung them from the joists in my studio huge difference from that versus a club night you know what i mean not that one's better or different it's just it's just two totally different vibes like you know one minute you're 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 feeling this just this amazing weight versus the club where it's just like this this energy just spiraling and this chaos because there's so many more people there i feel like like it's just all these these it's everybody's experience together, essentially. Right. Um, so that's always a really interesting divide for me is, is seeing the the personal ones versus the the outside ones. It's it's. Now, have you ever considered doing it yourself? I'll be honest with you. I have considered it. My issue was, I used to be a lot bigger, so I had a lot of a lot of body, you know, dysmorphia, and and I was, you know. There's no way that my fat ass could be held up by, you know, and, but I've had multiple people tell me like, no, these are meant to hold each hook holds, you know, like 
three, 400 pounds. And it's like, there's no way that skin's going to tear, you know, this, that, the other thing. I'm like, I'm like Andre the giant over here. I'm six foot six, right. just over 300 pounds again, because I'm fat all of a sudden. <laughs> I'm, I'm you, look, gonna, you look fantastic. And I, I consider it like I, I, I'm definitely considering it. Like, I mean, it's, like I've always cannonballed into the pool. I've never just dipped my toes. So. That, right. You might as well. I mean, shit. that's, it's a beautiful. And again, I, I don't know which I would recommend, you know, I mean, maybe Dr. Scotland can speak to that in terms of which, you know, you might, as your first experience, might be better for you. But I mean, I'm not. I, I'm not sure, man. It, it depends on what you're looking for. I think out of the experience. What about you, Dennis? Um. So I got actually introduced to this at a pretty young age. Um, growing up, I, I grew up in and out of the tattoo shop. Uh, my mom best friend owned one so i started going to the um the tattoo conventions pretty young and i started seeing this being done and i just remember being enthralled by it like oh my god like, what the fuck are these guys doing that yeah. is so fucking cool i've got to see this closer so i made sure i went every year just to go to the suspension show like i was never getting work done at the, at, at the convention so i you know would do my round and continue on just for the show but it was just it was one of those things it, it completely captures me. I want to do it so bad. Um, I just haven't grown the balls to do it yet. Um, I've grown the balls to do a lot of stupid shit, and this wouldn't be stupid. This would actually mean something to Absolutely. me. I just, you know, I just, it's just the different things. Like, I, I, I know my pain tolerance, and, you know, just, I don't know. I think it's just that it's anticipation fear that's holding me back. Sure. But, I, uh, no, I, I've always loved it. The, 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 the art behind it, um, what, what they've, you know, grown to do with it, not just with one, but, you know, they'll do multiple, oh, like, like the mobile spin them around each oh, other. And, oh, just, it's, 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 yeah. The, the shows that they put on with yep. it are absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, like, absolutely. Oh, I would actually, love to participate in something like that. I did. I just gotta a, go uh, there was a performance piece that we did at, uh, at this, this, goth industrial night and and it was a flesh pole and for anybody who doesn't know what that is it's basically two people at either side with with uh i believe it's a an elastic cord like a rubber cord and hooks in their back and they just pull it's like a tug of war but with your back and hooks and so we did this performance piece where we put these two canvases just a little bit too far out of reach for the two artists on stage and told them they had to make a picture. And boy, did they, oh. it was one of the most beautiful things I'd ever seen. Um, just them pulling back and forth and the, the struggle. And then they learned to work together, which was really interesting. And what about you, Dr. That Scotland? reminds me a lot of aesthetic meat front. Uh, the idea of creating art through suspension. Yep. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So with, Suspension, I again saw it while I was in Tokyo. Uh, there is an event called Department H, which is a monthly event that focuses more on a variety of, of fetishes. It does include body modification, but it also has like, you know, people, rubber fetishes, um, <clears throat> like 
I'm trying to think of all the crazy things I've seen there. I saw scrotal inflations. Uh, there was a woman for the New Year's event where in Japan, it's traditional to write your first calligraphy of the New Year. And she stood up on stage and put a, a brush in her vagina and wrote with it uh, by like, you know, kind of squatting around like a duck and writing like that. So this is a nice. kind of crazy thing that you'll see there. <laughs> I've seen Wall of Vagina uh, from Kemba Fowler. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I've seen a, I've seen a ping pong ball trick. Yep, yep. Yeah. <laughs> Thailand. But anyway, so, we digress. Go ahead, Doc. <laughs> <laughs> so that that yeah, a bit, bit different from what we're talking about here. Although it is, I guess you could say, a form of performative body play, uh, in which when we talk about suspension, of course, it's not really a body modification because it doesn't leave much of a lasting change aside from maybe a tiny little scar. Sure. Um, so Saya was this girl that I met, and uh, of course, it's a pseudonym, but she told me that basically for her, it was all about fun. It was uh, something that she did because she saw it and it was very autotelic, meaning that the the meaning and the fulfillment came from the activity itself. It didn't have any kind of uh, exterior meaning you can translate that as like mere play. And so this was, again, probably one of the points in my research where I realized that I'm not going to find always these tales of self-transformation, like reclaiming the body. Oh, it was transformative. Oh, I was at a low point in my life and this really turned me around. It was therapeutic. Sometimes people just do it because it's fucking fun. And, <laughs> you know, more more power to them, in my opinion, because uh, it's we should, uh, as Victoria Pitt says in her book, In the Flesh, we should uh, mine the body for effective experiences, if I recall correctly. But I like the idea of mining your body, you know, digging deep in there and finding new experiences and things that you, you never thought you could feel before. Absolutely. So this is what I found with this, uh, this informant that I met in Japan. Yeah, mining your body makes perfect sense. I mean, I mean, that's, mm -hmm. I, I, that's the one thing that I need to focus on personally is mining my body for energy, putting, my, you know, <laughs> put it, making sure that I, I focus on putting more optimal input <laughs> instead of, you know, quick lunches and dinners and expecting, you know what I mean? Decent output. And I'm like, no wonder why I don't have any energy. Um, but you know what I mean? It's, uh, absolutely. Um, now you were talking about, modification as autotelic play um so it's definitely safe to assume that uh that is more of what you found um than people that you know viewed modification as self-transformative uh do you have any stories um specifically to maybe somebody that you may have met that you know w was doing it for that self-transformation route well uh at the risk of getting too personal i would say that for me generally uh, it was that I've done it four times. And for me, I always, I do this with different things. I did it with cutting with suspension is that I turn it into a personal and private ritual. And what I mean by, by that is usually I have to focus myself because it is, it is quite painful. I don't think I have a terribly high pain tolerance. Uh, so I kind of have to focus myself mentally when I'm getting the hooks put in and things like that. So I'll often recite 
the the invocation to Satan, you know, from the from the black mass in my mind, you know, as I as I go through this and I'll often focus my mind on something in my life that I want to change or that I want to, uh, you know, I want to see some kind of transformation happening, whether it's in myself or in my, you know, in the objective world around me. So for me, it is very much a ritual. Now, of course, there is a lot of fun. The first time I did it, it was admittedly just for fun and to see, to do it because I could, essentially. <laughs> I wanted awesome. to push myself and see if I could do it. And then after that experience, I realized that I could use it as a, as a tool, you know, by, by focusing that energy and creating something that would focus my mind for a long time to come after that. And I would notice myself coming out of it with more focus on whatever it was that I was uh, thinking of changing in some cases or in others, it would basically disappear from my mind. So especially if it was something I was trying to purge from myself uh, by by focusing on it so intensely, I could essentially, you know, let it out. And this is something that is comes up in so much talk about ritual. You know, obviously, LeBay talked about it with this intellectual decompression chamber. Uh, but this is just kind of a staple of satanic ritual. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So for me, for me personally, uh, that's what I do. I've met people in Europe who do private suspensions who say they do it for similar purposes. In Japan, I have to say that I have not found anyone who at least, you know, admitted that they did it for that kind of purpose. Now, there's always a possibility that they just didn't feel like discussing something so personal. <laughs> I actually have a question about that, Doc. Um, do you think that that's because they're in such a culture that that focus so, focuses so heavily on uh, ritual and you know they're surrounded by that in their culture so much that they just want that fun like you were saying earlier oh you mean in japan yes yeah yeah yeah, yeah i would say that's definitely uh one aspect of it i found that throughout the entire goth scene not even just um you know body modification but anywhere that you can escape the you know the pressures for conformity that you face and, you know, in Japan, it's interesting. We often talk about, you know, the nail that sticks up gets hammered down and whatnot. But at the same time, as, as you know, Japan has an image of, you know, being a bit wacky. You know, you've got all these wacky subcultures and, and crazy fashions and things like mm -hmm. that. So it doesn't really jibe with that idea. Like if the nail that sticks up gets hammered down, why are there all these people walking around in crazy clothes? Right, right. And really, it just it goes back to not rocking the boat and doing what you need to do. So like someone, if they do their job and are a good, you know, upstanding member of society, if they decide to be a drag queen or dress up in a diaper and get whipped by women at a fetish club at the night, you know, people probably aren't going to care too much as long as they're doing their part for society. Now, of course, there are prudish people everywhere, but right. uh, there's a big idea that what you do in your private time is really not related to the face that you put in, you know, in front for society. In Japan, we talk about, and this is this is very uh, basic Japanese culture 101 stuff that is overly simplistic, but there's the idea of honne, which is your real feeling, and tate mai, which is what you show to other people. And there's a very, very deep uh, disjuncture between the two in many cases. 
So the idea that as long as the tate mai is okay, as long as what you're showing to other people is okay, really what you actually feel, uh, you know, it doesn't matter. You're you're maintaining the status quo. You're maintaining the harmony. And uh, to avoid getting too deep into it, I'll link this with tattoos in that I found people who were covered in tattoos, even on their hands and necks, and they would wear long sleeves in the in the train or walking around in the middle of summer when it was really hot. And what I found was basically that by making that effort to cover up most of their tattoos, people were were just kind of okay with it. They were like, I know this person has tattoos, but I see that they're making that effort. So it's this kind of reconciliatory strategy uh, to legitimate themselves and kind of allow themselves to continue to move within the society, even while doing something that intensely violates the norms of that society. It's like here in school, you get partial credit. And I guess it's a societal partial credit issuance. <laughs> At least from my experience and people talking um, that I've talked with and interacted with within the satanic community, uh, you know, we t- we've had episodes about the normie Satanists where, you know, you would not be able to tell, with, you know, in any way, shape or form that that person walking down the street would even, you know, remotely fall under any category of your typical Satanist. But then we've got people that walk, you know, that, that have the tattoos and and that, you know, go through body modification of, of various styles, uh, practice suspension, um, are covered head to toe, um, have implants. And then, of course, there's that, you know, initial assumption of, you know, again, we have the Satanic Panic to think for that, but of, you know, complete, complete Satanism, um, bad devil and and whatnot um but i've also been reading that that from a i'm talking just the states but from a more worldly perspective um i think that that assumption is kind of dissipating when it comes to you know the eastern world uh is that would you would you think that's a fair assumption yeah where the the shame and the the negativity and the initial response is starting to change and shift it's funny because as you were starting to ask the question before i that's where i kind of thought you were going with it and i can i can remember like walking through the springfield mall with my daughter you know, hand in hand, we're having a great time. You know, of course, I got my armor on. I got the the spikes and the the chains and the bondage pants and the you know the big earrings, and and we're having a blast. We're not bothering anybody. We're just walking around. And I can remember a grandmother and a and a mother and a daughter walking, and the, the mother and the the grandmother grabbed the mother, and the mother grabbed the daughter, and they all kind of, and I can remember hearing them distinctly say to the daughter. I feel so sorry for that little girl. And I was just like, are you kidding me? We're having a blast over here. Wait, wait. like your kid wants to come and hang out with us. What are you talking about? You feel sorry. For- I feel sorry for your kid. <laughs> but I can remember that. Now, granted, she was maybe three, four when that happened. She's 14 now. So now walking into you know her high school. I got the tattoos blazing. I got the hat kind of sideways cocked and whatever offensive t-shirt on. And <laughs> and I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for somebody to say something. And I catch eyes with somebody. And they start walking over and they go, I love your shirt, man. What the hell is happening? When did this become okay? I'm all right with it, but I'm just so used to the knee-jerk reaction of, you know, here we go. I'm ready. I got the fists up. 
Let's do this. And it's so different now, I feel like, here. And I'm okay with it. But it's interesting. Um, now, kind of bringing it back a little bit, Dr. Skelton, can you speak to that at all uh, in regards to the acceptance, um, uh, the cultural acceptance? Is Do you see a shift of more more acceptance in general, or is it just being hidden to suffice the same old boring expectations? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, obviously, there's more acceptance of uh, tattooing and a lot of types of piercing, uh, but this is something that sort of goes in waves a bit. Uh, there's a really nice uh, article that someone dug up from like, this is around the turn of the, not the last century, but like the early 1900s. And it was talking about tattoos as the new fad, you know, and not being, uh, you know, something so shocking anymore. And it just kind of echoed the same thing you would see someone writing in the nineties, you know, when this is the kind of tattoo Renaissance was happening. Uh, I mean, the, the aristocracy from Europe went to Japan to get tattooed. Like that was a, a fad back in the late 1800s. Oh, wow. So oh, wow. uh, this is something that definitely goes in cycles. But yeah, I mean, objectively, it's it's clear through media exposure. This started back in like, again, it, it kind of goes in tandem with the modern primitivism movement. Not to say that the modern primitives were responsible if there ever was such a group of people, but uh, not to say that those ideas directly influence so much, but uh, it kind of matches with the acceptance of primitive artwork. You know, I use the word primitive as they would have used it. So like around, say, the 1980s, things like that, art museums started to accept various cultures' art, and it became more commonly accepted. And these practices came to be viewed as more spiritual. And one of the found foundational ideas, of course, of modern primitivism is that their practices are somehow purer. You know, our our senses, our spirituality, our, you know, everything, our lifestyles have been diluted and corrupted by, you know, Western imperialism and capitalism and industrialization, all these things. And to try and get back to that purity about, through body modification, these rituals and these ideas from, from other cultures. Now, again, it's it's intensely quixotic in a lot of ways and, and often mistaken. But I mean, the, the basic ideas there, I think, resonate with a lot of people. And uh, all that to say, the, it led to it being more accepted. You know, it became kind of this bourgeoisie thing to do, you know, getting a tattoo and, you know, appropriating other cultures. Like imagine, think about tribal tattoos. I'm not knocking tribal tattoos in any, <laughs> any way. Uh, they're amazing. But I mean, there are, are some cases, there were some cases where it's like, okay, is is it cultural appropriation? Like, how do we, how do we deal with this? Uh, so there's a lot of that opens up a whole other can of worms oh it does i i, I, I again like four or four or five red flags just went off in my head like mm -hmm. no that that's a whole nother conversation but it, it mm -hmm. definitely it, i mean maybe a needed one but uh wow you're right so uh yeah a bit cultural uh let's see mainstream portrayals of it uh, make it more acceptable. I think last I heard, and this is an old survey from like probably three years ago or longer, uh, three out of five American adults have a tattoo. Uh, you know, so yeah. this is 
definitely it's more unusual to not have a tattoo at, a tattoo at this point. And it reminds me of like, it wasn't Farsight, but it was some comic where it was like a sideshow and it says, come see the amazing untattooed woman. <laughs> that, that was my wife for the yes. longest time. She has one little tattoo right on her hand. That's it. Yeah. So it's come, a, come a long way. Yeah. And I'd say the more transgressive ones are definitely going to be the ones that are not the the mainstream ones at the time. So scarification again, just has a very deep association with people of self harm. Uh, it's hard for people to get around to. And you do have that knee jerk reaction, splitting your tongue, uh, getting like horns implanted on your face, on your forehead or something like that. Uh, these can be very uh, transgressive, I think. But, um, yeah, you kind of have to go to further and further extremes if you want to get a rise out of anyone these days. Absolutely. Actually, it's funny you said that because I always had this idea and somebody's going to go and do it now. Watch. I always had this idea for a performance piece where somebody would cut off their ring fingers, a, a female uh, primarily. Mm -hmm. And I had a girl who, who in talking with her, she wanted to do this. She wanted to cut off her, her ring fingers so that she could just basically say, screw the patriarchy. I am never going to get married. Um, and then she was going to fry them up and, and eat them like a chicken wing. So we were covering, That's amazing. covering all sorts of bases on that one. That was. Ow. There was a man in Tokyo who, who uh, castrated himself and cooked it up yep. and fed it to people at a bar. They, they, paid, they to paid top dollar. It. Yep. It's almost shades of that. Uh, what was that movie? Funny Farm. Oh. Or Ch Chevy Chase ate the <laughs> testicles gotta, and he didn't know. You gotta cut them up real high. <laughs> One of my biggest regrets in life was I was in Japan when that happened and I found out about it after the fact because oh, I totally would have gone there. I would have totally gone uh, too. I don't blame you. I would have. Oh, yeah. He did it very legitimately. He got it done by a friend who was a medical professional. And uh, apparently he studied French cooking in order to know how to, you know, because he can eat bull testicles and things like that. Right, right. So he, he found out how to cook it up just right. Wow. <laughs> I mean. I wonder how mine tastes. I mean, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm not even going to go there. Never mind. <laughs> oh, got that one covered already. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Bill Rainyman. I don't know what kind of organization you're donating them to when songs. you die, but I don't want to know anything about them. <laughs> you never uh, saw it in her mouth. Yeah, oh, I know exactly what song you're talking about. I was just not going there. <laughs> was that called noodling? Rainyman, Bill. <laughs> what do you want me to do here? <laughs> So he, really, just, he just looked over at me. I'm like, man, this is your shift, yeah, dude. Right. I don't know what you want me to do. Sometimes you just got to let go of the wheel and way. see where the seat takes you. Oh, my God. Doc, you're going to have to adult. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a question, um, and this is kind of going off of all the different various types of, you know, things that we talked about so far, more specifically, a little bit more tattoo focused. Uh, and since we were talking about Satanism and, and all of that, one thing that came out of the last episode that we did uh, that I think that maybe we could elaborate a little bit more on was the how Satanism and just the occult and symbols of the occult are used much more prevalently 
um, maybe even more openly in the goth scene overall, as opposed to their use in other parts of the world. Um, and, and I'm definitely referencing, um, Kayoka, um, one of your, you know, under that pseudonym, uh, from your thesis and the kind of conversation and response that, uh, they gave you in regards to the why behind it. Cause I, after, after I read all this, you know, I, I, I kind of, you know, I looked into it and I mean, there, there's a lot of media out there that, that, that supports this and it, it's a real thing. Like that's, it's very, I mean, from just from my internet sleuthing research, it seems way more prevalent. Um, and just the goth scene as opposed to, you know, the goth scene uh, over here. Yeah, that's very true. The there's a lot of the big reason for that, I think, if you want to sum it up nicely, is just the satanic panic, uh, moral panics, essentially, uh, it necessitated that goths distance themselves from those things. So it was always defining yourself as what you are not. So it's like, I'm a goth. I'm not a Satanist, like very vehemently denying that. And now I'm talking about like the, the late 80s, the 1990s. Uh, during that period, people probably would very, very strongly deny any association with Satanism just because of the strongly negative portrayal it has. Uh, kind of like goth saying that they are not Marilyn Manson fans, right. you know, especially after something like Columbine or I guess now or recent, for other yeah. reasons, you want to distance yourself from Marilyn Manson. But uh, yeah, it's it's the whole idea of whatever is being popularized in, in the news cycle, uh, feeding into fear. Uh, people in subcultures have to legitimize themselves by distancing themselves from that. So I think that's a big reason why satanic imagery was less common. Now that's again, come full circle, uh, actually on an upcoming episode of TST, uh, TV's satanic show and tell when it finally airs, you'll be able to see me talk to, uh, uh, Reese Donnie of long clothing who, uh, also helped restart the boy brand boy London. He, he incorporates a lot of the cult symbols as a work. Of course, we all know kill star, we know Blackcraft cult. Oh yeah, uh, kind yeah. of what what I've called the new goth or new occult. Nu, uh, where this stuff it's linked a bit to the witch house movement in London that came about around 2010. I would say. I still but, love witch house. To be honest with you, witch house is good. Yeah, we talked we talked about that in the episode as well. Uh, but yeah, it's become so prevalent and it's a little less shocking. Sometimes it's not as shocking to people because they don't know what it means. And also just because of the declining hold that, uh, this kind of superstitious fear has over people. But again, obviously in the U S it's still there among certain groups of people. I imagine if you're in the Bible belt, wearing a a sigil of Baphomet on your shirt is still going to get you some comments from people. Trust me, it does. I lived in South Carolina for six years as an open Satanist. Hmm. How'd that work out for you, Dennis? <laughs> that was horrible. Oh my I was god! Say about the me? same uh, about the same as it works out here. Explain that one to my baby mama, who's a diehard Southern Baptist. Hmm. That was that was just that was an interesting talk. So uh, real fast, just wanted to you know, kind of go back to Satanism as a transgression with body modification and, you know, more of your focus on, on Japan with it. Um, is there, you know, be, be, 
I know you've we, we talked about this in our in our last episode that that the Satanism is completely different over there than it is over here. It's more of a theistic and, and things of that sort. But I wanted to know, is there a certain style of body modification that either as a group or as just a more individualistic Satanist would do in a, uh, in a ritualistic manner, um, wh- whether that be for achieving something, gain, you know, gaining something, um, something of that matter. So for rituals that I encountered among my informants, essentially I found that it was usually very individualistic. So people would talk about things they did at home in private. Uh, It may be getting a tattoo or something like that. So uh, satanic symbols and tattoos. This goes back to what we were talking about earlier, but uh, they are very powerful to those who know what they mean. But overall in Japan, when you don't have such a strong Judeo-Christian kind of theocratic environment, wearing those symbols on your skin is really not a big deal. In fact, the tattoo itself is more of a transgression than the the fact that it's a satanic symbol. So yeah, it was always very individualistic. Now that's not to say that there weren't, uh, you know, quote unquote rituals that were happening. So, for example, I recall when I was doing my research, uh, actually, no, this was before my research. Um, This would have been in 2011, uh, Walpurgis Night. And this was after the March 11th tsunami, the Tohoku earthquake. So as Japan was rocked by this nuclear crisis and, you know, thousands dead because of the earthquake and tsunami. And I was at the the bar for this Walpurgis Night event and this is a Gothic fetish bar in Kobe. So imagine this dark, narrow bar, people kind of packed in and you've got the mistress of the bar who's, uh, you know, all decked out in very long flowing dress, long black hair. And she's lights ritualistically lights, you know, candelabra. She has a kind of ritual skull. She holds up all the while we've got this, you know, kind of booming dark ambient, like Lustmord style music in the background. And then she proceeds to do, uh, you know, a Shibari show. So Japanese kimbaku, the rope <laughs> binding and whipping and things nice. like that. And it's all, it has a very ritualistic element of it, you know, kind of the releasing of of the endorphins and things of the, the victim, the sacrificial victim, you could say. And suspension was also part of that event. And I was uh, one of the ones who was suspended. So at the end, she never said anything during the whole ritual. It wasn't, you know, it was for, it was a show for the people who came for that event. You know, it's a bar, you know, you make money selling drinks and people coming into the bar paying the cover charge. But afterwards she said that ritual was essentially my, my prayer you know, my hopes going out that Japan will recover from this, you know, that the people I know who've been affected by this will be uh, so essentially compassion ritual. Wow. And it was just interesting to me that she never stated that to anyone who was in that room at the time, but, you know, in in a a very kind of casual magical way, she, you could say she was channeling the energy of that venue into something to work her, her will, you know, uh, very, very basic element yes. of satanic magic. Mm. And so, yeah, yeah, it was, it was beautiful. And I was, I was really fascinated with that. And again, it's hard to know just how much she actually believed or, or, you know, subscribed to any kind of dogma behind that, but it was definitely, there was feeling behind it. And she, she assigned a meaning 
to what she did in that case, which was very interesting to me. Mm-hmm. I gotta. I think I gotta go kind of find this bar. I mean, just the way you described it, you, you, you kind of had to go in there for a little while. <laughs> 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 just, now I gotta go see what this is all about. I, mean, I, was, I, would love, <laughs> I was having flashbacks to the nights that I used to throw. No, oh, and I this the same thing happened to me as uh you know I read through the description of Department H. It, it reminded me of a couple of venues mm-hmm. that I that I've been to of a yeah. similar nature, and uh, now definitely takes you there. <laughs> I'm thankful for yeah, that too. Yeah, man, absolutely. <laughs> but way with words. Trip to Japan. Absolutely, just just right right in the right in the head. That's that's oh my god! It's all can we ride the Mario go karts? They have those in Canada. Uh, yeah, they, yeah, they're popping up all over now. <laughs> Canada won't let me in. All you need to do is pay for the hefty <laughs> Nintendo license. Right, right. So for reinventing and creating your own rituals, I think this is something that we see in uh, TST. You know, they're always creating these new rituals like uh, the unbaptism. Uh, and in various rituals, I know that suspension has been involved. If, obviously, I think everyone's seen the documentary Hail Satan. And in there, you see a variety of different rituals, which all kind of have, you know, their roots in, in different things we've seen before. You know, there, there's obviously an element of uh, religious parody involved in some of them. But, yeah, the idea that you can create your own ritual uh, is very empowering. And I think, and uh, again, this is old hat, but in the Satanic Bible, LeVay lays it out. Uh, you know, he basically says, you use whatever imagery, uh, engage all the senses you can, whatever gets you going, you know, yeah. whatever gets you to an emotional state. And he talks about mostly private rituals, but also public ones. Uh, for everything that I've ever done, it's been in public. Uh, well, actually, I shouldn't say that. I have done private ones, uh, but not involving body modification necessarily. And I think that's just a really freeing idea that you don't have to be bound to a specific text or specific words or anything. Like, that's just immense freedom. And it it, it enables people to engage with themselves in ways that would otherwise not be possible. Now, of course, you need to have... Uh, most people need some kind of a framework, Absolutely. something to work with. Right, right. But the idea that there's no rigid rule, there's no uh, thing you have to adhere to, is just uh, really, to me, it was revolutionary. It seems perhaps to some of us like, you know, this is just something we take for granted. But the the idea of creating your own rituals and and doing them is something that really is quite uh, radical, I think. That's one of the things that actually drew me to Satanism because I remember reading that from LeVay and, and it was just going to Catholic school for eight years, like, you know, and being exposed to that dogma of like constantly, this is the way it is. Like having that freedom of, of someone saying to you that you can like putting that focus on the self, like, what do you mean? I can, I can create my own reality and my own ritual. Really? Okay, cool. Here we, I like that. So that was definitely something that drew me in. Um, and I thought it was really interesting reading, you know, and, and hearing your, your experience with that. That's yeah, uh, again, I, I mean, earlier in the show, I talked about my, you know, private rituals. And again, these were done in public, like before suspension in my head, I was kind of reciting uh, things to myself and, and focusing and all that. 
Um, of course, you know, private rituals, you can write your own words, uh, do your own thing. Uh, one thing, uh, this is getting away from body modification, I apologize, but a brief aside, when, when the elixir of life comes into the satanic ritual, I love the idea that it can be whatever you want it to be. So for me, it's whiskey. You know, <laughs> good for you. So you just drain, drain the chalice of the whiskey. You know, it doesn't have to be wine or anything like that. So, uh, yeah, but uh, you could say even with my wife, our, our scarification, getting that together, even though that was a very public thing, uh, that in being public, it also kind of reinforced it. Like to me, that was much more powerful and meaningful than our wedding ceremony. Some piece of paper we signed you know, that says we're married legally or whatever, like that mark on our bodies is going to be f- far more powerful to me. Mm-hmm. See, in my opinion, that is the wedding ceremony right there. That, that was, that's beautiful. Yeah. Absolutely amazing and powerful. Um, I think we probably haven't mentioned it just because we're so steeped in uh, Satanism, but obviously everything links to the third tenet, of uh, the satanic temple, you know, one's body is inviolable and subject to one's own will alone. And the, you know, I, I was quoted in National Geographic uh, Taboo. Have you ever heard of that show? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Uh, I was on there for the bagel heads. I did the bagel head episode. Okay. And they, they quoted me as saying, your body is a temple. You should decorate it how you want which perhaps may not be the most original thing I've ever said, but I don't know. I never heard anyone say it before, <laughs> but at any rate, <laughs> maybe cliched at this point, but yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. That's kind of, I was basically formulating uh, my ideas behind that tenet as well, you know, uh, decorate it how you want. Now on that note, is there anything on the horizon for you? Uh, when it comes to, you know, uh, a new piece of artwork, when it comes to a tattoo or um, a new endeavor, when it comes to body modification, is there any consideration about uh, an addition or is that down the road? Well, I used to have I, at my highest point, I had 36 piercings and around my body in various places. Now I only have two and they're in a place where only my wife or my doctor would see them. So, <laughs> so your feet? I lost all those. So I focus more on, on tattoos and what I really am itching to do, what I've been itching to do since before the pandemic was to get back to Japan and work on my, my tattoos because uh, I have some on my chest, some on my back. I have full sleeves on both arms, but I really want to finish my back. And my tattooist in Japan is someone I trust implicitly. He does freehand. I'll basically just tell him what I want. He will draw it on my arm or wherever with marker, and then he'll just tattoo over it. So he does it completely freehand without like a stencil or even with drawing beforehand in some cases, unless it's a design that I specifically want. Uh, so yeah, it's an amazing experience working with an artist like that. And that's something I really truly miss. Uh, it's, it's, I miss it so much. It's painful at times. Oh, I bet not to mention oh, that level of trust, like that sense of empowerment on both ends of that dynamic, you know, him as the, the, the tattoo artist and you getting the tattoo and just, especially in those occasions where, you know, he just draws something on your arm and gets straight to work. Uh, that's, that's definitely, uh, 
something I would yearn for as well, <laughs> especially if the outcome keeps coming out <laughs> the way you want it to oh, over yeah, and again. He always surprises me very pleasantly. Like I, you know, I'll, I'll have a basic idea. I'll give him a basic notion of what I want and it just comes out so incredibly badass. And I'm like, wow, I, I never could have come up with something as cool as that. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, I think it might be time to wrap up. We are, uh, we definitely have had quite the conversation here. Uh, and I think we can continue. <laughs> I'm Days. sitting here. I picked up the notepad and wrote down like three or four more things. Um, but it is uh, it is getting late over here uh, on the Salem time side of things. So um, I will uh, kind of push towards wrapping it up. Dennis, um, anything from you? Shout out, special thanks. Um, any any last minute uh, ideas that popped up from what we just covered? Um. Yeah, yeah, shout out. Actually, I want to thank Dr. John Scotland right now for coming back on this episode. It was a blast. I was, I've been really excited to do something like this. Um, I think I had, I think it was a lot more fun than, than I was already expecting it to be. And I was already expecting it to be a blast. So, um, thank you. Thank you once again for coming on. Uh, like I said, I, I loved every second of it. Um, shoot a question to uh, Sean over there. Speaking of, um, you know, any upcoming body modification, what you got coming up? That's a really good question. Um, I have plans upon plans upon plans for tattoos, man. I, I for days. Um, as far as any further modification from that, until you know, today, just now, I really hadn't thought much about it. Oh, very nice. So very nice. I'm 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 open to you know where the future will take me. There you go. Yeah, man. What about I'm you, Sean? Though, you got any shout, shout out, special thanks. Oh man, definitely, Doctor Scotland. Um, it was a blast talking to you, man. It was it was really really great reading all the material and you know just building this binder. Go ahead, hit the nerd thing. <laughs> <laughs> I earned that. A little late on that, but I'd have been over on that one. I'm standing up, I'm doing something different. Um, yeah, as far you know, as far as shout outs, that's that's about it. And thank you guys for, you know, having me on. It was it was a blast. Thank you for coming. And uh of course he's not gonna self promote, so I'll promote for him. <laughs> uh Happy Cat. I wanna shout out Sean and all the awesome work he's done for Satanic Study Hall and printing all of our shirts and laying out all of the blueprints for our varsity collection, which will be launched by back to school time. I think it's perfect. More of a fall collection anyways. Um, so it's coming right around that time. Um, but not nah, happy cat. It's happy cat.com. Uh, happy cat design.com. Happy cat design.com. And you can check out all of the killer shit that Sean's uh, involved with and, and what he's got <laughs> going on. Yeah. Cause I suck at the whole promotion thing. Yes. <laughs> I'm the guy who goes, uh, Hey, what do you do? I, I do stuff. You know, I make, I make stuff. And, uh, I, as far as, um, I'm concerned, obviously, um, Dr. Scotland, once again, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for stopping by class. Um, welcome back anytime. And, uh, we're always open to new ideas or new directions or new spins or just a, a crazy conversation to put out to the world. I think that would be great. Um, and I want to thank our listeners for hanging out with us. This has, um, been, you know, 
way smoother <laughs> than I imagined. We're, 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 a, we're a podcast full of degenerates and normally there's a lot of edits, but this was a, a fantastic interaction. Um, Dennis, I want to thank you. Sean, of course, thank you. Uh, thank you. And um, the rest of the study hall crew, Veronica, Johnny, Father Al, um, Hail Satan, y'all. We miss you. We'll see you next episode for sure. And um, Dr. Scutlin, uh, any, any, Final words, shout out, special thanks, and also if you can slide in, if any of our viewers um, are so compelled to hit you up on social media, if you can let us know how to do that as well. Sure. Well, uh, thank you so much. It's been an honor and a pleasure to be with you guys again. Uh, it's very professional. I love the the way the conversations are so freewheeling, but yet they always seem to come back to such poignant uh, points and it's uh, it's really great. I also love digging out my old writings because honestly, I haven't seen some of them in a while. Uh, they're always on my mind, but I'm always uh, looking at new things. So it it helps me put things in perspective when I can look back at what I've done and see it now. So thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to talk about these things. So as far as shout outs, uh, as you know, uh, La Carmina and I have been working hard on Satanic Show and Tell web series on TST TV and it's almost we are on the cusp of releasing it so uh, of course it'll be announced and I'm hoping there will be much fanfare when that happens so please check it out you can find me at Dr. John Scutlin on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook I'm not terribly active but uh, I do respond to people and I'm, I'm hoping that things will get a little more in gear once the show gets started so once again thank you so much and uh, it's just been an absolute pleasure I don't know about the two of you, but I'm I'm having a lot of fun with this new home necronomics thing. Oh my god, it's so much awesome! It is really oh, yeah. cool to be able to bounce out of study hall and learn some new shit. Things learned. I probably already should have known, but <laughs> <laughs> please <don't>. life skills. <laughs> um, but we've got, I mean, what auto shop with the satanic mechanic mm -hmm. cooking class with with Pete. Uh, and Brian, uh, we've got accounting lessons in the death and taxes segment with Father Al. Uh, it's 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 ridiculous. Um, I'm really having a lot of fun with that. I can't wait. It's a really good reason to get the hell out of here for 10 or 15 minutes, too. Absolutely. A little field trip. I'm fucking hungry. Okay. What am I supposed to eat? Get in my belly! <coughs> Damn Jesus it! Fucking Christ! I know. All right. Once again, it is time to head on over to Home Necronomics for a special edition of Number of the Bistro. We're headed back to the kitchen, and I'm not headed there alone. This time, uh, I get to be joined by Mr. Morningstar. Yep, I decided not to skip today. I'm fucking excited. So am I. I'm really fucking hungry. So far, it's just been me. I mean, Father Al was there, but he kind of taught the class for death and taxes. So, oh yeah, I forgot about that. One. Very excited. Uh, we're gonna see what our new chef is gonna be cooking up in the kitchen, and hopefully, you'll be able to pull a little something out of this home necronomics lesson. How much math did you have to do in that episode? Too much. Yeah, see, that's that's why I didn't come. Let's go. Hey guys, welcome to the party, man. Cooking up some great food for you guys today. My name is Satan's son. This is my first time being on here. Today, I'm going to give you a recipe 
It's going to knock your socks off, man. I'm working with some chicken legs. Good. I'm fucking hungry. Range chicken. I call this specific dish or this protein the Forbidden Applewood Drumstick. Are we in the Garden of Eden? Forbidden. No, we are not in the Garden of Eden. We are in my kitchen. Is this a dish that you named yourself? Yes, I did. Actually, my wife named it. All right. So, y'all, if y'all are ready to begin, I need y'all to wash your hands, first of all, because that's the most important thing, man. Wash your hands. Wash your damn hands. Two minutes. Say ABCs with the smoke. <laughs> it's, it's, it's actually, 20 you, seconds. You say, you, you say your ABCs with the soap and the water is what you do, man. Oh, okay. that's, that's what the health department wants you to do. Well, and I can't you do get your that paper towel. I'm take, fucked. Yeah, and then get, get to make sure you use the paper towel to turn off the faucet. Don't use your hands or they'll knock a point against you. Knock a All point. right? So then to start this off, guys, we're going to wash the chicken thoroughly. Okay, that's very important. I did also tell you the name and the recipe. This is just a kick-ass air fryer recipe, guys. It's quick. It's easy. It's really not expensive at all. I mean, if you're trying to feed, it fed my family of three. I went and got some free-range chicken from the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, no hormones, no GMO. It's about $5 per. I got, you know, 10 legs at a time. Okay. Um, I got a question for you. How much did the air fryer run you? I keep hearing people getting these air fryers, and it's I'm, like, really fucking interested in it because people are frying up some crazy shit. Yeah, man, you can get them online pretty cheap, man. The one I cost cost 150 bucks. Okay, um, it's one of the big, it's one of the bigger ones. Uh, but it, to me, it still has a small bucket on the inside. But I have found that uh, using the air fryer, man, it's just it's a great alternative to the majority of the crap that, that they put out here for us to eat. You know what I mean? Right. Or the junk food that you're going to go at the the Whataburger, the McDonald's, doesn't have whatever you're going to do. Right, man. You know, and I'm trying to give you an, uh, a healthier alternative to munchies. I love Because I love munchies. <laughs> I love yeah, healthier. Man. man, you know what I'm saying? Makes me feel better. Makes my family feel better. Um, but here, this is how I started off, guys. I'm going to take 10 chicken drumsticks. And you want to take a quarter cup of olive oil or as needed. You want to take a half cup of applewood seasoning. And you want to massage them real good. And you want to let them sit. So I just put them mm. back in the refrigerator. So while they're in the refrigerator, you want to go ahead and preheat your air fryer to 380 degrees, okay. which I totally recommend. You then you want, to take your, your, you want to take the chicken out of the refrigerator. You want to line the basket up with five drumsticks at a time. Do not, and I repeat, do not overfill your basket because it's not going to have enough room. It's got to have room for the air to move around to cook all the meat thoroughly. All right, groovy, man. All right, and then you want to place the five drumsticks, the uh, the five drumsticks in the basket. <laughs> Shut up, you fucker! All right, <laughs> no, listen. Okay, you want to you want to put the five drumsticks in the basket. Do not overcrowd because it'll fuck everything up. Okay, then you want to hit the start button and let it cook. While it's cooking, you have a choice of what you want to do. You can go ahead and be proactive and start your sides, or you can be like me. And roll some weed. And that's the most important <laughs> thing here because you want to do this hot because you're living deliciously. You're living as satanic as you possibly can. Your food's going to be amazing. Why not be amazing at the same time? Got to get your head straight, man. So while we're prepping, right, while man. we're prepping to bake ourselves, um, what, what was uh, I might have missed it. I'm trying to take notes here. The air fryer, like the temperature and the time. What are we cooking that and for how long? Yes, sir. And we're going to go over that in just a second. But <laughs> the way you want to start it off is... 
is 380 degrees because that's <laughs> preheating it. So when you turn it on and you hit the button for the preheat, you want to make sure that's the 380 degrees and not the 400 or you're going to have some crispy ass chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want crispy chicken. I, I like my that's little crispy. You like? Well, not out of the air fryer because crispy chicken in the air fryer means that chicken's going to be uh, well, like well done. Yeah. yeah, fuck that. Listen, I'm... I'm gonna tell you the size I made for my for my family on the side of this right here. Let's see, I made some cracked uh, pepper, macaroni and cheese, and green beans. Real simple, real simple stuff. You're looking at shit, twelve dollar meal. You, you, the time it took you to drive to the grocery store and and come home was the time to prepare, and you just saved yourself thirty dollars because if you're if you're spending x amount of dollars a day for your coffee in the morning. Then you got to get some lunch on the fly. And then if you're not cooking dinner on the way home, you're grabbing a pizza, you're grabbing something quick, you know, whatever you got to do. I'm trying to make it a whole lot easier and a whole lot help. And air fryers you really see, do that. Uh, yeah, man, the temperature, man, it's, it's the most important thing because the holding temperatures for your product, man, your right. temperature on your chicken needs to temp out at 165 degrees. Oh, it's always pretty. No, sir. When you open the air fryer, you want to take your biothermometer and stick it into the core of the meat. That's not against the bone. That's in the meat. Oh, okay? stick it and, in. It needs to sit, and it needs to sit there and it needs to be 165 degrees. If it registers something lower, you need to pop it back in, hit the button again, let it cook for like a minute. Then you should be good to go. But I don't think that's going to happen, guys, because these air fryers are the fucking shit. <laughs> All right. Now, you asked me about temperature earlier, too. Check this out. I cooked it two different ways because I wanted to be able to taste, um, be able to give people. People don't like chicken the way I like chicken. You want crispy chicken or, or you want juicy and tender but flavorful. Mm. So I, I've got it. I've got it worked out because I, I, I cooked a couple pieces on the side and I was like, OK, I like this one better. But the way I did it was 380 degrees for 20 minutes total. OK, mm -hmm. but I'm suggesting that you cook it at 370 degrees at 15 minutes. Why? Because it's going to come out a lot more flavor, a ton of flavor. The skin's not going to be as, not necessarily tough, but it's an air fryer. So it's, it's air frying it. It's crispy to a bite. It's delicious. But if you want a little more flavor to the skin that you're eating, I suggest doing a lower temperature. And that's what I figured out for myself. Now, do you do you rotate them at all, or do you just let the air fryer do its thing with the way you set Absolutely them? Absolutely not. Absolutely not, sir. That air fryer does its thing. That's why you paid all that money. That air, it just works around in a circle, and it cooks everything evenly as long as you don't overcrowd it. And, man, you can cook everything in these motherfuckers. And it comes with a book. I mean, a thick book, too. I mean, you think anything. I'm talking about cauliflower. You oh, want to do some green shit. beans. You want to do some green. Hey, man, green beans, cauliflower, snow oh. peas, whatever you want to do in there, bro. You can make it happen, Captain, and put Brussels it in the sprouts? air fryer. Yes, sir. Oh, yes, man. sir. All two and a half minutes. Oh. And I am going to. I'm going to do a recipe just for you for Brussels sprouts. Please, because so I'm going fryer, to the farmers market. Yes, sir. So when you get your air fryer, you'll have the you'll have the the down low recipe to make you some quick some quick bites of of heaven because so to speak because those damn things are so fucking delicious man all right so we just pulled our chicken out of the air fryer uh we shoved the fucking thermometer <laughs> dead center we nowhere near a fucking bone we're holding temperature things are looking good what do we do next hey man i like to take my meat 
Send it to the side, let it rest. <laughs> you like that, don't you? I like to send it to the side, let it rest, gentlemen, because it's still cooking internally. You don't need to leave it inside the air fryer because it's going to continue to cook. So take it out and let it sit. Maybe a topping block, maybe a serving plate that you're going to use, I suggest. But before you eat it, you got to let that shit cool down, man. It's going to burn the fuck out of your mouth. Sides. Oh, man, you can make all kinds of fucking shit, man. Uh, for my family, we all love macaroni and cheese this house. I made some uh, crap black pepper macaroni and cheese and some good southern green beans. And if you know how to make good oh. green beans from the south, it's real easy to do, man. And I can tell you how to do it. And I'll throw this, in one, for, I'll throw this one in for free. I cannot you wait. Take the can. Listen, man, you take the can of green beans, all right? You empty all the all the water into the sink, okay? And then you take the actual beans and just put them into the pan. You add about a quarter cup of butter or olive oil, if that's what you want to use. Don't put a quarter cup of olive oil in there because it expands. That'll be gross, okay? You'll be draining oil off your green beans. It only works with butter. Salt, pepper, garlic, whatever you want. I like to take a piece of an onion, and I like to take a piece of ham, like lunch meat. And throw in there that's just for the flavor mm. then you want to cook it down until your green till the butter's gone and the green beans start hissing at you and as soon as they start hissing at you that's right before they start to burn so you want to lightly fork them and add just a teaspoon of olive oil uh, i prefer extra virgin that's the stuff that works the best for me it also uh still allows the flavor to be there in the green beans but that's what I did for my family, man. Also, I told y'all about how cheap everything was. I mean, I, I, I obtained the chicken, the the Grillmate Applewood seasoning. Okay, Grillmate Applewood seasoning. They have a whole set. Um, that's my favorite. I use it for my pork. I use it for my beef. I use it for a lot of different things. But uh, the Applewood seasoning is the shit for ribs. Um, it really is. Uh. And, you know, of course, you can get olive oil anywhere and the chicken. I'm really funny about my meat, guys. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I, I have one particular grocery store that I go to that I get my meat or I'll go to the butcher. I, I refuse to buy meat from grocery stores. I refuse to buy uh, bone-in pork chops with brown spots. There's never no time to do anything anymore. And it's always go, 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 go. So you're just cramming shit in your fucking bodies, man. And it's hurting yourself, man. So just take time to try and plan out a good meal, you know, for Hell you thyself. if you're by yourself, man. Always. Or, or, Hell Satan. You know what I'm saying? Hell in thyself and taking care of thyself. It starts with loving yourself. You have to love yourself. And, you know, it all it's all involved with the act of, you know, cooking healthy for your family. You know, I'm almost, two, I'm 256 pounds, man. You know, the biggest I've ever been was last Thanksgiving. I was 300 pounds. You know, I still want to lose 50 more pounds. And th and this is the way I'm going to fucking do it. It's not going to be, the, you know, the fried chicken down the street or, you know, taco days, which I love fucking tacos. God fucking damn on Tuesday. That's all I think about is fucking tacos and burritos and the green and the red. That's all I give a fuck about, man. I got to say no to that shit. So we're plating this awesome chicken with this piece of black pepper, macaroni and cheese and this green bean recipe you just gave us. That Dude, sounds amazing. The Southern style green beans are fucking delicious. I used to eat them all the time when I was living in South Carolina. So Satan's son, thank you for being here. How to, I don't know how you got this gig, but I'm glad that you did. Yeah, I wanted to say I wanted to say thank you as well, man. I, I like this teacher. This is, I'm going to have a lot of fun with this one. Hey, man. I learned how to cook when I was just a kid, man. And it's always been a thing for me. I got 25 years solid in the game. 
never had no paperwork to, to you know back me up but i did uh as far as schooling but other than that I, I cooked with the best of them and you know it's it's you know if you learn how to cook you don't ever go hungry and it's it's a, it's it's spreading love man it, it's showing people that they can do it too and that you know it's just it's 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 the way to do it man and i want to shout dennis morning dennis morning star i love you dude i love, I love you, too, you buddy uh bill thank you so much for getting with me Shit, i can tell you next time i'm coming with some steak i'm gonna do some red meat i'm gonna uh i'm gonna go with it and just and just you know see what else comes with it man you know we got a lot of different things i'm I'm also gonna do some vegetarian dishes too for cool, you guys man. but that's later on wait. down the road i can't wait to hear yeah, any of your new, your new recipes man I'm, I'm excited and thank you so much for having me on again guys and i'm looking forward to next time all right well uh satan son once again thank you for being here it was a pleasure to have you here in study hall hail satan hail satan hail satan now normally if i can help but i don't spend a lot of time in a principal's office Class is dismissed.